Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Right Mentor. If you're a children's writer, you've probably heard of Right Mentor. And if not, do I have a treat for you. Right Mentor is a group of authors and friends who've built a supportive system for fellow storytellers from picture books up to young adult that delivers mentoring programs, courses and conferences and much, much more. Right Mentor has a range of services, but if you stick around until the end of the episode, you can find out how to get an entire month of their premium subscription, the Right Mentor Hub, for free. So I will see you at the end. Now, let's get back to the episode. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? Anything. It's a short answer. (laughs) So how many novels did you not finish? Oh my God, so many. (laughs) It was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. (laughs) This is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. (laughs) You heard it here first. We're going (laughs) to Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today I'm joined by young adult fantasy and speculative fiction writer, baker and messmaker, Holly Race. Hey Holly, welcome Hello. to the show. Hello, hi Jamie. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Let's start off with the Midnight Trilogy, now complete uh, with the, the final book came out over the summer, A Midnight Dark and Golden. Yes. How, how's your elevator pitch? Oh, you know what? I My elevator pitch for this one, it sucks. So okay. I apologize in advance. I've never quite got the elevator pitch down. And I think that's um, that that was a shortcoming uh, of mine <laughs> right from the start. you had three books to figure it out. <laughs> I know, I know. And I've never quite got it. Uh, okay, I'll give it a go. Uh, so the Midnight's Twins trilogy, it's an urban fantasy and it is set between our world and the world of dreams and nightmares. It follows twins, Fern and Ollie, who discover a secret army who protect people from their nightmares. Because if you die in your sleep, then you die in the real world as well. Uh, it is a little bit of Arthurian legend retelling, a little bit of mind control and quite a lot of death. <laughs> Well, that sounds great. That was, what do you mean you haven't got, that was that was down if I, if ever I've heard an elevator pitch. That was great. <laughs> I think that's the best I've ever done it. Thank you for putting yeah. me on the spot like that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, um, all three out now. Is it is was it always planned as a trilogy? It was originally planned as a five book series, actually. Oh. And then I sent the first book to agents, and all the agents I met with were like, "Uh, no." Make it three books. We'll do three books. Five books is no. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it must be. Uh, it must feel like an amazing achievement to have all of those out now and to have the sort of story completed. 
Yeah, amazing. And uh, earlier this year, when I was sort of doing the final copy edits on it, I was getting very emotional because I started working on it in 2010. Mm. So it's been been a long time coming. And (laughs) the last sort of four or five years of my life, it's been a huge, huge part of my life because of the contracts. So yeah, it's... um, but yes, a great sense of achievement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's great to write one book that is an open and closed story. But but writing a, tr- a trilogy, or I mean, if it had been five, goodness, what an achievement that would be! <laughs> I know, I know. I don't quite know how Samantha Shannon does it with the, the season. <laughs> so you mentioned a little bit there um, that when you first started submitting it, you, you, you immediately had the pushback of, I don't think five's going to work. Why don't you make mm. it a three? What was the whole experience like of getting this, this, uh, this series published? Was there a lot of submitting and back and forth? Um, it was, I, I don't think I had a normal, uh, I mean, not that there is one uh, kind of yeah. normal route necessarily but <laughs> basically I did a course called writing a novel course with the Faber Academy mm-hmm. uh, back in 2016-2017 and as part of that I don't know if they still do it this way but they used to basically chuck all of their students from this course into a room with a load of agents and get us to read out our first chapters of our books and then they pushed us into another room with glasses of wine and canapes and got the agents to uh to talk to us and we got to schmooze with them and so off the back of that I kind of had interest from agents straight away so I already had a number of kind of full manuscript requests before I'd even finished the book which is obviously incredibly unusual and a very privileged position to be in Um, but it meant that as soon as I finished the book I was able to send the whole thing out to those agents who'd already expressed an interest and um, within 48 hours I had three offers of representation and yeah they met up with all of them and they all said you know I think this is great but trilogy is about as long as we can we can get deals for at the moment mm-hmm. um yeah. people are, are a bit scared publishers are a bit scared of of doing longer than that with especially with the debut author I suppose yeah um and so it became a very easy decision as like if you want to you know give this the best chance of getting published then bring it down to three books and actually it was the right decision because the amount of plot I had I don't think would have fit five books very nicely. It was the right amount for three. Yeah, I guess the advantage always of of, of reducing something in size is that you can take only the the, the creme de la creme, the very yes. best of your kind of ideas. Exactly. The, all the the subplots that were there just as filler. Just it's an easy decision to just be like snip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you did end up getting an agent through that, and then. And then did you sign with a publisher as as the trilogy? Yes, I did. So we spent about three months editing with my agent and then took it out to publishers. And uh, it was Hotkey who fairly quickly expressed an interest. And uh, I had a phone call with uh, the person who would then become my editor, Georgia, who's the most wonderful editor in the world. I don't have enough nice things to say about her. She's brilliant. <laughs> and then met them in person. But it took about three, four months, I think, before they were in a position to offer um, 
And when they did, it was for the full three books, which was really nice to have that kind of um, stability, I suppose, and knowledge that it was definitely going to all be published. So it actually sounds like you had a pretty, from the Faber course, you had a pretty great run into yeah. getting this trilogy published. Yeah, I, I think it definitely definitely put me in a mindset of, oh, this is not easy, but this is this is really smooth. which did not last (laughs) indeed indeed which which brings us to where you're at now you are currently not with an agent I'm not no uh I had a a bit of a an interesting time earlier this year um my my original agent moved agencies and Mm. the place that they ended up it didn't feel like the right fit as a kind of agency ethos for me. Um, although it's a very perfectly good agency, but it, it was just like, oh, this doesn't feel like the right fit. And I think I was sort of thinking about where I wanted my writing career to go. And it's like, well, now that I'm about to be out of contract, is it time to to make a bit of a change? Yeah. And so I contacted um, a couple of agents who I, I thought, looked really interesting and had had good things about uh, with some ideas that I had had for new books that I could take to my current publisher, books that I might, you know, write in full before taking them out on submission. And one agent who had read Midnight's Twins way back in 2018 and really Mm -hmm. enjoyed it uh, came back to me and was like, this sounds great. Um, I would, you know, we had a conversation and uh she was very enthusiastic and so I I signed with her and I I was like yes sorted this is great I I know where I'm going and over the next three weeks we sort of worked up some ideas some ideas she pushed back on um and said I don't think these are going to really work as you are envisioning them Mm -hmm. and so I uh yeah I'd been working on that and it was about a week before the publication of A Midnight Dark and Golden, the last book in the trilogy. I was on holiday in uh, the US <laughs> at the family reunion, uh-huh. and um, and I got a fo- I got an email from her at about six o'clock in the morning, saying, "Can I call you? I've been thinking a lot about things, and I think it would be easier for me to talk to you about this over the phone." And as soon oh, as no. I got that email, you know, it's exactly, it's, it's <laughs> like, it's like when, when your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend sort yeah. of sends you that message, you're like, I, I know exactly what is about to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and my daughter was in, was sleeping in, in the same hotel room as me. And so I went into the, the toilet of the hotel room oh, and no. was like, you can call me now. And so she called me and I was sitting on the loo having this conversation where she was like, I actually realize I don't think I'm the right fit for you and I don't think I'm the right agent for you and I'm really sorry. Um, but yeah, but I, I'm still not entirely sure. I don't know whether I've like blocked it out of my mind or something, but I'm not entirely sure of the reasons that she gave. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but the long and the short of it was we parted ways. Um, I got dumped. Oh. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, but one of the thing, one of the ideas that she had pushed back on and said, oh, I don't think this is going to work, I had actually been thinking about and I couldn't quite get it out of my head. And 
I was like, I really do think there's something in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the day after I got that phone call, I sat down and I started writing up that idea that she had pushed back on and told me to abandon. Yeah. And I spent the next four months working on it pretty much full time. And I sent it out to agents uh, last week. And I have had seven full manuscript requests. And literally uh, three minutes before I came on this call, Jamie, I got my first offer of representation. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so, uh, yeah, it, it serves to write, write out of spite, if nothing else, I think, is the, <laughs> is the moral of that story. <laughs> okay. I was going to interpret it more as, well, perhaps you also deep down had a feeling that this wasn't the, the right fit. But but yeah, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go that with works. that as well. That that's nicer, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, revenge writing. Yeah, yeah. whatever. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Well, c- congratulations. I didn't. Know, that was so fresh. Off this call. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I was going to ask. Um, are, you know, are you actively looking for more agents, things like that? But obviously, you are, yeah. and you've already had um, a lot of interest, which is which is which is great. Can I ask then this new thing that mm. that, that you've put out? Um, without obviously giving too many details, <laughs> is it is it going to be YA? Is it going to be fantasy, speculative? It is fantasy. It's um, so the trilogy was urban fantasy. This is more historical fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I would say it's more crossover adult. There's okay. there's a lot of sex. There was no sex really <laughs> in the trilogy. There's a lot of sex in this one. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> it's a lot of writing in coffee shops, going. Oh, I really hope no one can see over my shoulder right <laughs> yeah. now. Turn the brightness right down. <laughs> exactly. Angle your laptop a bit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think I really felt like there was a very strong pithy elevator pitch for it in a way that I, as I said, had never quite got down with the trilogy, and um, um. and it felt like there was a very good commercial hook for it so yeah i have a i i am cautiously optimistic about this one okay okay well great that's amazing and amazing news as well so are you are you a sort of fantasy writer for life or do you think you'd you'd ever try every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in at u.s border patrol protecting our borders is more than a job it's a calling Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. By other genres? I would love to write a crime at some uh-huh. point. I used to work on Death in Paradise, the BBC One cozy oh, crime no show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I used to work on that. So crime is something I love reading. I love watching it. And yeah, I'd really love to have a go at crime novel at some point. But at the moment, fantasy and I think long form is the way that my head works right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned that this is upper, like sort of YA moving into adult. Mm. Do, do you think that you'll ever go full adult or do you think YA is always going to be a sort of core part of your writing? Um, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. I I love reading YA at the moment. Uh, you know, a lot of my favourite books are, are YA. But yeah. Uh, 
yeah I mean there's always that thing isn't it that YA is often the often the readership for YA is uh 20-something women <laughs> yeah. more than teenagers so it's it's a bit of a weird sort of genre classification anyway as far as I'm concerned yeah, yeah I agree it, it's it's I always see it as it's more just to do with the age of the main characters yeah yeah than necessarily the age of the readership yes and I suppose the the idea of a kind of coming of age with yeah. that a teenage main character because you obviously do get adult books that have child protagonists and teenage protagonists it's yeah it's it's very strange <laughs> it is yeah because it's almost like and this is the weird thing i see about ya is ya is almost deemed a genre mm. whereas what it actually is in theory is an age bracket right yes like no one talks about mg as if it's a genre but people often talk about ya as if it's a, a genre and it, and it does have its own sort of tropes in some ways yes yeah you definitely have the tropes but you always have to have the subgenres with ya don't you if it's yeah. contemporary fantasy thriller crime all that kind of stuff yeah. yeah yeah it's very flexible though and the agents that i've spoken to that do lots of ya i think sort of delight in the fact that it is so flexible as a sort of age range it kind of encompasses everything yeah it's wonderful i love ya and it's so full of passion and i don't i think you you can't get away with stuff in ya the way that i think you sometimes can in adult yeah um cuz if you are talking about a true kind of teenage readership if they don't like something, they're, they're just going to put it down. They don't yeah. have patience. And I, I'm the same. I, I really get annoyed when people are like, oh, you just, you've got to get to episode nine of this TV series. That's <laughs> when it really gets going. Like, I don't have time to give nine hours of my life to watching something I'm not enjoying. What are you talking about? They should have <laughs> yeah. written it better from the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I've only ever done that with one television series. And it was only because a friend of mine just nagged me incessantly and he was like you have to and and you know what once I'd watched about six hours of the show it did become good but <laughs> I shouldn't have to put that much time investment into it did it become good or was it Stockholm syndrome do you think I don't know that's a good what, question what was the tv series can I ask uh it was actually an anime it was uh, oh. a friend of mine is very big into anime I I tend not to watch that much I, I only watch the, the the big blockbuster ones the ones that are really famous yeah um and it was this anime and i will say it had the most amazing ending of of almost any show that i've ever watched oh wow so okay. part of me was like i do think it was worth it okay. but i was grumpy about how much i had to watch before it became good <laughs> yeah okay might have to get the name of that off you at some point because that I'll, does sound wonderful i'll, I'll private message it to you okay. because if I tell you the name, it's now like it's almost a big spoiler that I've said that that, that has right. a good ending. Okay, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, let's talk about books, shall we? Because that yes. not this isn't an anime podcast. <laughs> uh, you do a lot of a lot of work on on panels and working with different writing communities and things like that. What were the kind of first uh, groups that, that you ever got involved with when you first started sort of immersing yourself in the community? Um, so the first ones I got involved with, um, probably slightly showing my age here, but was on, <laughs> they were on Facebook. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and there are a couple of groups. There's one called the Savvy, Savvy Authors Snug, Savvy Writers Snug, which is mm-hmm. just a kind of 
conglomerate of published authors. And then another one was the debut 20s who were all debuting in 2020. Mm -hmm. And I think it got set up in 2019. And there are about 100 of us, I think, in the group. And then, of course, when COVID hit uh, and everyone's social life went online, (laughs) suddenly that group became a lifeline, a total lifeline, because we would have weekly Zooms where we could moan about how hard it was to launch during a lockdown and we couldn't see our books in stores and no one was buying books from nobodies. Um, And uh, it was just lovely to have that that little moaning outlet (laughs) and self-pity party um, from people who understood. And that kind of friendship group has really stuck together and we're actually launching a a collection of short stories in aid of the Trussell Trust next week um between us and amazing yeah so um so yeah that's that's been uh one of my primary groups and then I but most of those authors are uh adult authors and I was really kind of looking to make contacts with other YA authors. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know many. I, I'd sort of had dealings with lovely Bex Hogan, who wrote the Isles of Storm and Sorrow series, yeah. and with uh, Kate and Liz Corr, who wrote Daughter of Darkness and Throne of Swans. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, and I'm, I'm not very good at just kind of like sliding into DMs of <laughs> authors and being like, hi, can we be friends? <laughs> um, so I was like, I wonder if I could set up one of those groups for YA authors and YA authors based in the UK, because often I think UK YA gets a little bit overlooked yeah. uh, in favour of the admittedly excellent um, US YA published uh, books Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah it kind of set that up and it started to grow and uh, most of it is now handled by the wonderful Kat Ellis and Naomi Gibson and uh, Dawn Kurtigit and we now have a kind of public social media on Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and then we also have our little private group where we can just be like oh we've got these this panel coming up or do you think we can do something to celebrate all of the books that are coming out in 2023 and how can we support each other Um, so that's been really wonderful and yeah wonderful wonderful group of authors. And am I right in thinking you have a a big panel coming up soon? Uh, Oh Maybe. Uh, maybe. I I I don't know. <laughs> um I, I had the Cheltenham Literature Festival panel, which uh-huh. uh was a few weeks ago. Um I'm doing something with Charlie Robinson, who runs the paper orange box for her. Oh yes, that's that's it. That's what yes. I saw. So yeah. that is next week, the mm-hmm. UK YA author awareness week i think it's called um but charlie is a wonderful advocate for all things ya um i think she's interviewed an awful lot of writers should be really good yes yeah yeah yeah. and if anyone listening wants to check out those um social media accounts it's uk ya books on instagram and twitter yes so i i mean what you just told me about the agent stuff is is great because uh now i feel like i can ask (laughs) 
this this advice question that I wanted to ask. But now I know there's a happy ending. <laughs> You're sort of freer to to say whatever you want. And, and the way I wanted to ask this was, uh, what's um, and this is for people who are just embarking on their writing journey, or maybe sort of just finding their way into into publishing now. Yes. Uh, what's something that you wish you'd known when your first book, the first of the trilogy, got picked up, signed, and was headed to publication? Something I wish I'd known. I wish I had known to make contact with other writers sooner, um, uh. actually, because I, I didn't start doing it until pretty much Midnight's Twins was published. And that was too late to really uh, make much of a difference to its uh, kind of profile and to make people aware of it. And I, I was just too scared to approach published authors and be like, hi, can, can, <laughs> would you mind reading my book? Or, you know, I really love your books and can we do a thing maybe? <laughs> and actually what I've discovered over the last few years is that most authors are really, really friendly and we all remember what it was like to be starting out and how hard yeah. it was. And even though we might not necessarily get around to reading things in a timely fashion, we mostly, you know, want to support people. And so I think reach out to people as soon as you get your deal. I mean, to be honest, before that, just yeah, find your authors who you really like and who you think are doing cool things and who you think look nice on social media and drop them a line and mostly they will you know remember you and try and help you out if they're in a position to do so when your time comes yes i would definitely. say i mean if there's one thing i've learned from speaking to authors and, and just people in publishing is that um people who like books and like writing always want to talk to other people who like books and like yeah. writing. So yes. <laughs> it's hard to go wrong. And, yeah, and I, I mean, I was in the same boat as you. I think it took me about 50 episodes before I started really kind of just sliding into DMs of authors <laughs> and asking them to come on the show. <laughs> and then so, you, you're deluged with them, like, yes, yeah. please. <laughs> no, now, now, now you can't avoid me. Now I'm just <laughs> everywhere. So. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, well, that's, that's really great advice. And, um, I think it's involving yourself in the writing community is such, even if it's not, you know, the, the biggest or most dramatic step, it's, I think it's always such a helpful and supportive step because like you said, sometimes it's good to have writing friends just so that you can all kind of moan together about the kind of hardest yes. parts of the process. Yeah, definitely. And that brings us to the final question, which as always is, Holly, if you were stranded on a desert island but could take a single book with you, which book would it be? I have thought really long and hard about this. Um, <laughs> and my answer is I really hope I don't – I'm going to come off sounding horrendous, I think, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Um, it's The Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer, Okay. which is an epic poem. Mm -hmm. I studied it at university and I fell in love with it. And it's one of the influences on the Midnight's Twins trilogy. Mm. And it's just really, really beautiful poetry. I mean, it's sort of middle English, so it's not particularly accessible. Oh, okay. um, but it 
it has a lot of very gorgeous imagery. It's set in a kind of fantastical dreamland with lots of battles and danger and uh, knights and warriors and monsters. And I think want that as my desert island book because I don't think I've ever really got to grips with the poetry and the meaning of it. And I kind yeah. of feel like, oh, if I was on a desert island, then I'd want something that I could just very slowly pick apart and kind of study in a way mm-hmm. um, yeah. to kind of keep me occupied. And so I think that would be a good one for that because there is no way that I am going back and reading that book with everything else I have to do right now <laughs> in my life. So it would be like an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, that's high praise. In my experience, <laughs> studying something often ruins it. So the fact that you've studied it and still want to read it is is very high praise. <laughs> but I have also, I, I studied Chaucer when I was oh, younger wow. and Middle English is, I mean, it's it's, it's code, right? It's a yeah. secret code that you have to figure out. <laughs> yes. And often you have to read it out loud. So actually you don't yeah. really want to be doing that on like a train, do you? But you could do it on a desert island because no one's around. So you wouldn't be embarrassing yourself or making anyone feel uncomfortable. Yeah, because it does sound quite mad when you you read it (laughs) in in modern times, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Well, that's a a great choice. That's a very unique (laughs) choice as well. I don't think anyone else will ever pick that. Um, (laughs) Well, thank thank you so much, Holly, for, for coming on the podcast and sharing your experiences with writing and publishing and, uh, everything, everything else. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thanks, Jamie. For anyone on, uh, anyone looking to keep up with what Holly is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at holly race britain backwards so e-c-a-r-y-l-l-o-h i'm not going to try and say it and <laughs> and on instagram and tiktok she is holly underscore race to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow us on twitter at right and wrong uk or on instagram and tiktok at right and wrong podcast thanks again to holly and thanks to everyone listening we'll catch you in the next episode Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.